Hello, and welcome to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of CNG Partners Design for Culture. Today, I am joined by Trent Oliver to discuss the secrets of creative collaboration. Trent, welcome to the show. Thank you. I think uh, hopefully they won't stay secrets. That would be good. I guess that's true. They're not going to be secrets for very long here. Could you tell our listeners who you are and a little bit about what you do? Sure. I'm Trent Oliver. I'm Principal Managing Director of Blue Telescope Laboratories. We have been around a very long time, uh, 23 years now, and I'm one of the founders. At Blue Telescope, we believe in expanding the human experience. We're using technology for media and, and interactives, but the focus is not the technology. The focus is the humans. And what I do is I lead the company by making a giant mess. And that's going to be, I think uh, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the points you wanted to share tonight is actually a, a, a today, on the, during this podcast, is about making a giant mess. And you just admitted you are the leader of the mess making. So that's great. I'm an excellent uh, chaos maker. <laughs> excellent. Me too. I think, but let's <laughs> see. I think you might, I mean, you're the one who's making a list of that. You might have me outclassed here. Okay. You know, I ask all my guests a side question that I'm really interested in, which is how did you get into this business to begin with? I am an equity stage manager. I started in theater a long time ago because I got poor and, you know, you go broke in theater. So if I was already poor, might as well go to theater. Um, and I began as a stage manager, moved into coordinating, producing, did all sorts of things, live shows, video, and then moved into interactives. And I've discovered that it was actually a very kind of good background for what we do. And uh, yeah, I got lucky. I wandered my way into something that I actually am fascinated and enthralled by. A stage manager. That's super cool. Where, uh, where did you, where did you do that? Corporate America for quite a while, Subaru and pharmaceutical shows. And then when I moved to New York, I did off Broadway and got my equity card and just started moving up between corporate shows. And when I got bored at board or money got tight, I would switch between live video and interactive. In general, any of your listeners and you, if you meet a stage manager, maybe consider hiring them. They're really useful people. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. In fact, uh, at, at my firm, the head of uh, project management is actually a trained stage manager. So I'm, I'm 100% with you. There's, there's definitely that. And the other category that I think, although I've never interviewed someone who came from this background on the show, is uh, from catering. Anybody who's in catering oh, wow. or who is in you know, actual food service, holy cow, those folks can handle just about anything. So yeah. I've worked with folks who come from that, uh, from that, that side of the of business sense. too. Yeah, it's a really cool I – just, I just – when I ask people this question, I just really love finding out all the different ways that people end up finding their way into this business. It's super – the thing they have in common is tracking a ton of details and whatever you're doing is live. You can't stop and complain. You got to keep going to the next step. <laughs> I love that you, you just can't stop and complain. That's awesome. All right. So um, what, uh, what inspired you to come up with the list of topics for today, the idea of secrets of creative collaboration? Well, I belong to Praxis and we did a webinar on it, but 
a lot of these things I have been casually expounding on for years and kind of finally wrote it down and went, this makes sense. This is kind of what we try to do on every project. And I noticed that a lot of projects just kind of go off the rails. And, how, you know, how can you kind of keep them on the rails while not sacrificing creativity? It has to be whatever you're creating needs to be really good. But at the end, stay on the rails. I want to back up for just a second. You mentioned, you said you're a member of Praxis and oh, you yes. did a webinar okay. about this. So can you uh, kind of unpack Praxis for our listeners sure. who maybe haven't heard um, heard about that organization? Uh, Praxis is Praxis Museum Group. It's a group of people who work in museums from different backgrounds where nobody overlaps. And we have kind of a free form conversation on how can we do what we do better. And as we'll talk here, all those conversations work better when you have a lot of different people at the table versus everybody who believes what you believe. Mm -hmm. So the idea is just to elevate our work by working together and seeing what other uh, disciplines do. So I, I love the idea of keeping projects on the rails. That's a big piece of what uh, this podcast is about, is a big piece of what my daily newsletter is about, just trying to help everybody else in the business as sort of a professional development to uh, keep uh, projects uh, on budget and on time to rave reviews and try to do all that stuff at the same time. So this is a perfect topic uh, for this show, and I'm so glad that you're doing it. And without further ado, let's get into it. So uh, as always in the show, like our like our listeners, I don't know what you're about to say, actually. I do, however, know the list. That's that's all I know, not much more. And I am very curious to hear about it, like I, I'm sure the listeners are too. So here we go. Uh, this discussion is the secrets of creative collaboration. And number one on the list, there are six things on the list, by the way. Six is a very popular number these days. I don't know why that is. It's a perfect number. Number one of, on the secrets of coll uh, creative collaboration is Get to why, W-H-Y, get to why. Can you tell us more about why that is number one and what it means? Sure. In my back, in our experience, we have had so many people come to us and they're like, oh, I saw something over here and I want that. Um, or what's the latest, greatest, newest, hottest thing that I can put in my exhibition that everybody will be drawn to. And the big thing we ask our clients is the hardest question. Why are you doing this? Why, you know, what is the sol solvable problem? What, when people come through, what do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? What is the thing? What is your mission? Why are you doing this? We want to get to that big idea of not only why is the entire exhibit happening, but each specific experience, why, what is its purpose? If we get to the big why and have the big idea, that can be created in many different ways. So it isn't technology-based. It isn't, you know, how are you doing it? Language dependent. It has nothing to do with that or even what it looks like. It is what is what do you want people to feel? What will you solve for? What is your big giant mission? I, I like how you said that 
uh, one of the big questions, what your first question there is, why are you doing this? Why are yeah. you doing this project? But your other there is, what do you want people to feel? That's yeah. pretty interesting because uh, for those of us who are in the business, the question is often, what do you want people to learn? Or what do you want people to know? Or what information do you want them to receive? But you're saying something that I think is a much more, as you said at the top of the show, that you're, you're all about the human factor. And I think it's much more human to say, what do you want, what do you want people to feel? Is that literally one of the questions that you'll ask people right off the bat? Say, this is a great brief, but let's get back to basics. What do you want people to feel? We try to get to that. Sometimes you got to warm people up before you go straight to that. And also learning. A lot of people, when they learn something, they have a really great feeling. You know, you got to make sure it's not too much, that it doesn't feel overwhelming, that it feels good for the visitor. They've got the right amount. They feel successful. They feel happy, you know, or empathy, whatever it is. One of the things also, like, what does why sound like? You know, what would why be an, what's an example of it? The idea that, okay, I'm going to walk into this history exhibit. And we got to a point with our client where we asked why enough that we pinpointed that they wanted to have visitors understand that history is an ongoing story. It isn't just old. It is an ongoing living story and that they, as members of the community, are part of it. And that's something that if you hadn't tried to get to why, you wouldn't have no. learned that. And, and do you think that's because that particular client, I'm thinking about ascribing sort of intentionality to this. Do you think that that particular client, for example, knew that answer and just had forgotten to inform you? Or do you think it was more like a little bit of therapy on everybody's part that they actually, they kind of knew it, but they'd never articulated it even to themselves? Yeah. And I think it's therapy. I think it's... You know, it's why we come in and kind of help tease these things out. You know, there may be a gut reaction that, oh, that's what I want, but you don't know how to say it. And so that's why number one of your of these six secrets is is not just why, but get to why. Get to why. So the, the implication in that is that it takes time and it's not right there already. You have to you have to get there. Like you have to get yeah. to the top of the mountain or you have to get to the other side of the river. And do you find that that's true? Do you find that it, it takes some effort and it's not, uh, let me, let me, let me, let me say it in a quantifiable way. Like how long does it take to get to why? It depends. It's uh, you know, and then we need to talk about who is there, who is part of the why, because mm -hmm. that is a key component of getting to the why. Now, um, is that, is, is, was that a segue? That is a segue. Okay. All right. I know a good segue when I hear one. Okay. <laughs> then that, that brings up, I think, now that I know, number two, the players in why, which is what I think you're just starting to talk about. Like, who, who is it? Who, what is that about? Who speaks for it? Or who do you ask? Who do you ask? Who are the players? Well, it's tough because quite often the players in why will not necessarily be everybody we're thinking of. The beginning, you have you know, the people from the museum, the people who really care, they're invested in the why. They know why they're there. But who within that, who are the key approvers? And they may not be the people who are actively working day to day on this. But who are those key approvers? We need to hear from them. Are there any groups, you know, is there a particular sponsor that 
has to be part of this also. Who needs to, at the end, judge the why and say, yes, we've been successful? Are we by by end, do you mean like the end end? Like at the uh, mm. at the end of the, are you talking about the end of the conversation about why, or are you talking about the end of the project? I think the end of the project, because if they're not part of the why at the beginning, we'll get to the end. And it could be that a key person we needed to hear from, we didn't hear from when we decided what were the parameters we, you know, what were we working on, working toward. So you're looking for, you said, you know, the, the, uh, the key approvers. So the idea here, let's see if I'm getting this right, or if I'm dreaming this up, the idea is at the as soon, I guess, because it's your number one thing, as soon as possible to the beginning of the project, find your way up that mountain to the key approvers or whoever, and they will be the people, from what you just said, who at the end of the project will hold you responsible whether you have achieved the big purpose. Yes. And you, to, to do that, you need to find the person who has the purpose the why, uh, you need to get from them what it is, then well, you have to solve it. And then at the end of the project, you can, you can say, look, I solved it. And it is a team effort. It isn't just, you know, here's the key approver and they're happy. Uh, education's there. Uh, you know, whoever from the museum side is part of what is being created. They need to be part of this because this is really teamwork working together, making sure that we're all in agreement that uh, the key approver and education and everybody else down and around the line are all in agreement about what the why is. So this seems like such an important point. I'm going to ask a couple of follow-up questions. I think our listeners are probably w wondering. So in your experience, I could share from my experience, but I'd rather hear from you. What happens if you don't get to why, well, like does does the project uh, continue? Does it does it complete? What what is the uh, what is the bad stuff that happens if you don't get to it? Um, why is the map and why is the endpoint? We need to be really clear on what will success look like if we have been successful. What are the metrics? What will it look like? What will people feel? What are the needs that will have been addressed? If we really understand the why, then all along the process, everything we do, we should double check. Are we still going towards why? Because if you don't, you can end off end up going all over the place. And what so what what happens if you you said you can go all over the place? What well yeah. let me put it a different way. Have you worked on projects that made it through and opened or whatever where you didn't get to why? And you you kind of got through it. What's the outcome? What's the what's the downside? Um, we're not as happy with the work, um, and I th suspect nobody's that happy with the work. Mm -hmm. One of the things many times we'll get, you know, here's what we want to create, and we've thought it all through for you. You don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And I will guarantee, if we just go ahead and do what we've been asked without making sure that whatever we're being asked to do does correspond to a very strong why, at the end, you can end up in an approval vortex of, you know, slightly art directing, tweak, 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 because it isn't, it isn't quite right. 
and people don't know why it isn't quite right. They don't know why, right? They don't know why. Okay, so uh, you mentioned the example before of the uh, history exhibit, where yeah. when you, you finally had a, an, enough conversations, the client was either recognized or was finally willing to share or kind of assembled it in their head that the outcome that they wanted was that people felt that history was an ongoing story and they were part of it. And I guess what we're saying here is that if you had not done that, and if they had not figured that out, people, visitors, people mm -hmm. coming to the exhibit or to the to the theater show or to the whatever it is that you might be stage managing, I guess, they would not be walking away with that. And the sponsor or the owner or the approver wouldn't be happy, but they wouldn't Once, know why. Exactly. Once we figured out, you know, teased out the why, you know, here's Here's what people will feel and understand at the end of this. It changed the approach to everything that was being suggested versus a lot of little different things that are cute. Maybe they teach a little tiny thing. We ended up with kind of a, a river, and literally it was a river, of experiences that took you through the whole history experience and brought about that end product, that people felt that history was living and ongoing and that they were a part of it. And that would not have happened if we had just kept going and said, oh, you want this? Well, it's that much. So it sounds like if you don't get to why, bottom line is it's not an existential problem for the project necessarily, the way failing to raise the funds would right. be like, oh, let's start a project. I haven't raised the funds yet. We'll do a plan for it. Oh, I never raised the funds. Okay. That means the project won't be happening. Or let's right. say there's an earthquake or some other uh, unexpected oh, thing that happens, right? And that, that, that would be an existential problem for the project. So it doesn't sound like you're saying that uh, when you don't get to why at the beginning of the project, that creates an existential problem for the project. It creates a situation where it's not as good as it could have been by a long shot, and ne nobody knows why. I agree. And it it could look like just little one-offs instead of everything working together. Great. Okay. So the next one, uh, we'll get away from the why topic here, although yeah. <laughs> I think it is it's super important. I'm, I'm just actually uh, drafting a couple of uh, editions of or issues or episodes mm -hmm. or pieces of my newsletter right now that's about exactly this, the five whys and building boats versus getting people across the river and what Frank Gehry said about Bill Bow and everything, which all, all sort of ladders back to what you're what you're talking about, that you have to get the why right at the beginning. Um, but enough why, let's move on to number three. You mentioned before that you were sort of the chief giant mess maker, and that is, that's your point number three here. Number three, creative chaos, make a giant mess. Yep. That, that sounds like a, a, a lot of fun. I, I, some people might think that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but, but say more about where that falls into your secrets of co uh, creative collaboration. Quite often we'll walk in and people are worried about budget and they're, you know, no, no, we're going to keep control of everything. But at, a, at this point, after you know why you're doing something, you got to make a big mess. Creativity needs chaos to really get going. Um, a lot of people say, oh, we're, we're brainstorming. And then I've seen lots of uh, studies that say brainstorming doesn't work. Brainstorming may not work, but improv does, you know, pulling from theater. Invite, I'll get to the people we invite, but 
every there is no bad idea. There's nothing wrong. Anything that's anything anybody throws out, say yes to every single thing, just like you would in improv. Say yes, but you know, see if you can elevate. It doesn't matter how crazy or how stupid, you know, we may think something is. All of these ideas can bounce off each other and make a mashup. You could end up with a giant mess of different ideas that are bouncing off each other. And that is exactly what you want. Sometimes you don't know where you'll get to without going through the ideas. That you're like, oh, this is so typical. Wouldn't everybody say that? Yeah, but don't say no. Just keep going. If everything is yes and, you're going to end up at the end with a whole bunch of different ways we could address the why. Now I'm thinking about you on on on, on stage, black turtleneck, you know, headset, walkie-talkie, uh, Leatherman tool, um, oh, yeah. you know, grabbing cast members and and shoving them through the vom. Um, <laughs> but this this idea that you just said, I think it's really interesting, uh, and it, it sounds like it's coming a little bit from your past work, which is great. Brainstorming doesn't work, but improv does. Uh, can you, for people in the audience who don't know much about improv, can you unpack that that improv standard of yes and? Sure. What does that mean, and and how can our listeners use that in their in their work? In improv, you know, quite often you'll get up, say you're in an acting class. It's an improv acting class, and they, you know, say, "Hey, get up in front of us, and you are a cow." Uh, munching grass who says this. Well, that's mm -hmm. ridiculous. But right. you, no matter what's said, you say, yes, and I'm a cow munching grass who's in Canada or, you know, whatever, mm. whatever mm -hmm. is thrown your way, you say yes, and, and you add to it. And why do you say yes, and instead of, uh, no instead of yes, but, or no, or whatever? No. Is, that, is that about it's, breaking the flow or, or uh, what is that about? At this point, everything is optimistic. Nobody, you don't want to shut down any ideas ever with anybody who's there. You want them to be comfortable throwing out anything and whatever they say, you say yes. And I would say, let's make it even more crazy. Not, no, that doesn't work. Or, but I was thinking this at this, there's no editing at this point. This point is just chaos. Let it go and just have fun and don't worry about whether it's buildable. Don't worry about whether it's good or makes sense. Don't worry about any of it. Just say yes and, and end up with this giant mess of lots and lots and lots of ideas. And what, what shape does creative chaos take? I mean, you've mentioned the improv uh, example or the improv metaphor. Are you actually doing improv with your clients or is it based on improv, but it looks a lot more like a traditional process? What's it like? It's based on improv and probably traditional. Now, I think it'd be fabulous if it were actually improv. Why not? The idea yeah. is to break through everybody's natural resistance, their natural reserve, break through so that everybody is just being completely silly they have, you know, no egos that when mm -hmm. they walk in, it, there's no worrying about whether they look stupid. Mm -hmm. We want everybody to get really, really silly because you just 
And it doesn't matter. The great ideas don't have to come from the experts. And yeah, I was going to ask, like, who is it? When you say everybody, who's who's the everybody? You've mentioned is, earlier you were mentioning approvers and members from the education team. Um, mm -hmm. I'm kind of imagining that you're, again, just uh, because of what you how you self-identified, uh, that you're kind of stage managing uh, this whole troop uh, mm -hmm. to do something together. Am I right about that? So you're saying it's not just about you as the expert. I know everything about media technology right. and visitor experiences, et cetera. You're saying, let's get everyone uh, in the room, everyone I'm working with, everyone that is in the museum or whatever institution, and let's get everyone's ideas. Absolutely. And also all disciplines who are involved. Like if you're going to create a theatrical show, you don't say, oh, well, here's the designer we always use. Here's the lighting designer we always use. Here's the, you know, you don't stay with the typical. You look at what you're creating and you handpick who is specifically the best that will come in and be additive to this experience. They need to be in the room at this point. They're part of the chaos. They're part of adding their expertise that you want in the room. You don't want people who only know certain things. You want a blend of people who've worked together, people who've never worked together, people uh, all gender, races, orientation. And here's my pet peeve. I really think it's important to have educational level in the room. Uh, just because you don't have a master's or PhD does not mean you're not intelligent. It just means you didn't have access. And I think it's important to have those uh, voices as a part of this. But you want to bring them in early so that you can pick their brains in the within the chaos. I, I've uh, said before that the business that we're in is really about helping uh, those who know far too much communicate yes. with those who know far too little. And uh, that's a hard bridge to make. But when if you have people who are more like your target audience, just the typical visitor, the typical family group, the typical, I don't know, eight-year-old, the 12-year-old, whatever the yeah. target audience is, if you have them with you when you're planning, it, it sort of has a way of uh, directly showing those experts these folks aren't getting it. You're, you've yeah. got, uh, there's very few people in the world who have literally three PhDs in the history of forks. You're one of the very few and your audience is really not as equipped. You're going to have to, I was about to say spoon feed them. That wouldn't work in PhDs of forks, but um, that kind of thing. So is it is partly uh, having the diversity of educational level about just making sure that the experts understand who they're communicating to? Yes. And I also think we have a tendency, not in all museums, but to kind of live in rarefied air, that we are up here and we're, the, it may at times lead to a feeling that you're uh, talking down to people and that never works. You want to have everybody having this conversation so that we reduce the rarefied air. We make sure that it, whatever we're creating is open to everybody that they're all getting something really valuable out of it, and uh, it doesn't drone on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Making the Museum. I'm Jonathan Alger, and this is a project of CNG Partners Design for Culture. Today, I'm talking with Trent Oliver, and I think our next point, uh, Trent, is going to be number four. We're talking today about 
Secrets of Creative Collaboration, and we're up to number four. We've made it through half the list. We've got three more to go. What if, this would be the second act opener now. Yes. Right? That was the first act closer. So now we just did intermission. So here we go. Number four, uh, Who for the Chaos. Who for oh. the Chaos is number four. Well, that is kind of what I was going into. It, all the experts you're going to bring in to work on this museum, you don't have to start them and keep them through this part, but you do need them to be part of this conversation. They need to be part of the chaos because they're going to bring specific ideas that, you know, the set designer in theater isn't going to bring in the same idea as the costume designer, but you need all of them at the table to say, oh, well, if that is the idea, I can take it higher because of my discipline, my knowledge. How can you just keep building on whatever the chaos is so that you end up with this mess of ideas, a lot of really rich ideas that, you know, you can communicate in many different ways, not just uh, in one way. So let me let me ask you about this idea of, you know, who for the chaos. You've, you've mentioned several times, let's get everyone in the room, right? Let's get everyone right. in the room. And it's a large group of people you're talking about. I'm, again, I'm it imagining is. a theater or a, you know, theater, the audience isn't there, but everyone in the production is up on the stage. They're sitting around talking to each other or they're practicing something. How many people, well, let me back up. I think my, my real question is for people who are listening to this, who are considering a project or they are managing a project or they're going to be the owners of a project, the idea that there would be that many people in the room for a long time might be a little scary because it sounds expensive. So can yes. you say a little bit about how you do that? Even in theater, you can't really do that all the time. Like you wouldn't have every rehearsal and every read through exactly. and every whatever have every member of the entire team all the time. Uh, you kind of pick and choose. So say a little bit about, you know, how Absolutely. often you can have everyone in the room. At this point, you've got the why. You don't need everybody from the museum side in on the chaos. But you do need everybody who will be creating the museum in on it. But, you know, say somebody from lighting, one person, you don't have to have the entire team. Somebody from fabrication, one person. These key people, who are they? Can they be in the room? And it could be a series of a couple meetings where you're throwing out ideas. Hopefully it's very fun and quick. The idea is that you get to a point where you have this giant mess of rich content of possible ideas, and then everybody can back off for a while because they've added their expertise, but you're not ready to do lighting design. You're not ready to fabricate. You've pulled from their brains the stuff that is really important, stuff they've spent 20 years working on so that it's part of this uh, bullia base you've made. So uh, I think I just, while you were talking, I think I just had an aha moment here. You're really talking about uh, essentially a series of meetings and not, not yeah. all the meetings. No. The aha moment that I just had was that these meetings involve all of the technical experts that can create uh, something with you, that can, that can uh, collaborate creatively, no longer technical. in secret. Um, yeah. And that they, they do that actually all together and you're tapping their brains rather than 
some smaller group comes up with something and then eventually you get a lighting designer to light it and eventually you get a fabricator to, to fabricate it down the road. You actually get, you pull all those technical experts forward in time, have them all in a big series of jam sessions and to get something very out of the ordinary out of it instead of waiting, waiting for later. Something out of the ordinary that you know can be built, can be lit. You're going to find out where... You're going to know that the things you have on the table are possible. And knowing that up front, having everybody, one, buy into this uh, dream will be less expensive in the long run. They can add all of their their thoughts and their value and say, oh, by the way, when you do this, don't do that. You know, the one thing that you at the end discover you shouldn't have done they can give you expertise so that as you're going forward, you're creating something that is remarkable, creative, and possible. Sounds like you're saying it costs less, ironically, yes. to do this thing that sounds like it costs more yes. because you're bringing the technical experts forward in time to contribute so they'll catch you know, major snafus in waiting or whatever uh, so that later on, uh, those snafus won't happen. You don't. You won't know what they are because you will have gotten in the way of them and stopped them. But you have to kind of think about it like insurance a little bit. I think so. I think that's really a very good idea. I think that's uh, perfectly. Fair. You know, these days when you're doing travel, uh, you yeah. you're kind of thinking, well, maybe I should do that travel insurance thing. I used to just like blow that off, but now I probably I should do it. So I think people get that idea. They get that idea of insurance. It's good for you. Better to pay a little bit now than a lot later. And I haven't really yeah. thought about it, but it seems like you're kind of killing two birds with one stone with this idea. And one of the things, as we talked about all the people, we need to make sure that there isn't like the key person who's the big deal that once they give their opinion, everybody goes, oh, I better fall in line. That you don't want. You want freedom. You know, you walk in and you're the designer and everybody knows you're remarkable and you're amazing. And they're throwing in ideas and you say, mm, no, I think it should be this. And they're worried that they have to be in line with you. So if you are a key person, you know that if you say something, people might start following you. Maybe be quiet for a while. I read somewhere recently, I forgot, now I'm forgetting where I read it, but it's uh, some company's policy or it's the policy of a particular way of thinking about corporate productivity that you have the leaders in the meeting, which, if it's a brainstorm or an improv, the rule is they speak last. That is brilliant. Yes. They should. Their speaking last will let everybody else speak their mind. And then it's not even a question of yes and. Let everybody else yes and. And the, and the leader uh, comes in at the very end. And that way you get everybody else to talk. Yeah. Because the best idea doesn't always come from the people you would think it would come from. Right. Good ideas come from anywhere. You just have to be ready with your net. Yep. Um, so, so number five in your secrets of creative collab collaboration, which are so far four secrets have no, are now not secrets anymore. They're just, they're just, we're just calling them things. We're slowly mm -hmm. converting secrets into just stuff. Okay. So next one is number five. Moving on slash forward. Moving on slash forward. Sounds like I know what it means, but I bet I don't. 
How many projects have you been on that they never quite get out of the chaos or they keep going back to the brainstorming because it's fun and they want, you know, everybody is like, oh, we could do this. Oh, we could do that. At a certain point, if you're going to be creating something, if it's going to end up getting created and be on time and on budget, you have to buckle down and say, here's what we're doing. So all those wild ideas Look at them, compare them to the why, and start culling them down until you find what is the thing that really is going to work and that everybody agrees that this is the, you know, this concept is going to fit that why and solve for it. And we're all in agreement. At that point, also, you got to assign a devil's advocate to just test everybody's assumption. You know, at this point, you've gone from yes and yes and to somebody saying, well, what if it doesn't work? You got to have somebody poking holes because you want to end up with the concept that has been tested. Uh, The key disciplines that have been in the room, they say, oh, yeah, we can build this. We can light this. We can create this. This is possible. So you've got buy-in on what the concept's going to be, and then you got to keep everybody on the same page by having continuous conversations. But now we know why we're doing it. We have gone through some chaos. We have had agree, you know, we know that people have signed off. We've culled it down to what is the right concept for what we're creating. And we're in agreement that it can be created. Now we need to move forward. Now we're uh, training for a marathon. We're not saying what is a marathon. We're training every day. We're doing a little bit. We're getting little yeses. We have to keep, now we're in production. We're not going backwards. Assign a devil's advocate. Did I get that right? Yeah. Can you yeah. say more about what, what does that mean? Somebody is sort of like, you're the devil's advocate for today, or is that a permanent um, role on your projects? Because it sounds like it might be useful to have. I think it's useful to have. It's at this point, definitely you need, you know, as you're getting to your concept, you need a devil's advocate to say, what are the things that could go wrong? Now, I'm going to talk to you about a structure and holding the vision and changes, but One of the things we have told our own staff internally is that anybody can raise their hand and say, I see a big problem. And they have to. And nobody's going to get mad at them. It isn't to say, you know, you're a complainer. It's that quite often when projects, when airplanes go down, it isn't one big thing that went wrong. It's a lot of little bitty things that nobody said anything about. Hmm, So we don't want, you know, just complainers, but we do want everybody to say, if they see a problem, they have to say it and we'll deal with it. Do you find that uh, people, we, we have the same policy too. And one thing that we're fighting is, I don't know, something that people, I guess, are taught when they're young or in school or something where don't bring up a problem unless you have the solution or something like that. And that's kind of a little bit crazy. It's like, well, I think the plane may go down, but since I don't have a solution to how to reboot the autopilot, I just won't say anything. Do you find that that's true? Uh, How do you you, uh, make it safe for people to say, like, if you see a problem, just bark it out. You don't have to solve it. 
we are raised with lots of things that later we go, well, that was silly. Um, you want people to feel safe saying, I see a problem and be taken seriously, but you don't want to get into the rut, which um, quite often you'll present something. And the most comfortable thing for anybody to say is, oh, I see what's wrong with it. We need to change it versus, uh, you know, what is something that's actually constructive? The problems need to be something that you really see a problem, that if we build it out of this, it will fall down. That's a real problem. Mm -hmm. If we build it and use this screw versus that screw may not be a real problem. As the person who's not a fabricator says, I have no idea about fabrication. Right. Well, I think they fabricate things out of screws. I think you're on. You know, <laughs> I think they I use think you're on a solid ground proposing that idea. Uh, but in the first half of your list, you're talking about saying yes and there are right. no bad ideas. But I detected in the second half of your list, there are bad ideas. It well, switches. We know what our concept is at this point. We know why. We know our concept. Now we're doing the how. How do we build this thing? How do we create this thing? And that's where you want people to say, uh, there may be a problem. You're still you're still hitting, you're still matching back to the why, you're still matching back to the concept. Now you want to make sure that as you're creating, it's sustainable, that whatever you're creating is solid. That sounds like a good segue also to uh, the last point we've talked about. Number four, who for the chaos. Number five, moving on slash forward. And number six this is the last one in the secrets of creative collaboration. Uh, number six, managing creative and approvals. Yeah, I've I've been there. I got my own thoughts about that. But what are your thoughts about that? What are your secrets there? I don't know that it's a secret, but who from the museum side is the person that has full approval? You know, it could be that the museum tells them you know, each person tells them and then this one person gives the stamp of approval and you know that's real. So you have the real conversation on what does the approval process look like? Now, one of the things we found is that as you're working, you need to have transparency. Everybody on the project needs to see everybody else's notes of what's being changed and adjusted because it could impact them. Um, we find that now that our work is virtual and before, even when it wasn't virtual, we like to have something that here's a software uh, piece. Everybody clicks the same thing. We're all looking at the same storyboard, video, whatever we're looking at. We're all looking at the same thing and notes are there and anybody can add their notes and, you know, whoever is the approval prover can say yes or no, whether you do it at this point. We need to have strong leadership because we're no longer a democracy. At, at this point, we have production that has to have a strong leader, creative that has to have a very strong leader, and the museum, between them, they all need to be equally strong. They have the same you know, ability to pull each other each way so that creative doesn't just go after creative, not caring about time and money and all that. Production doesn't go after, I said it needs to be on this time no matter what, and it ends up not being creative. And the museum needs to be there saying that they agree what you're doing is 
what they wanted. Uh, you start with yes and, uh, yes. but later in the project, you have a devil's advocate. You start with creative chaos, but later in the project, number six, managing creative and approvals. You yes. start at the beginning with maybe the leader talks last, but from what you've just talking about, you've just been talking about just now, the leader talks first and quickly and assertively. So there's this, there's a sort of spectrum of change in the project uh, where you need to know yeah. where you are and what you're doing. So having the leader talk first at the first meeting is wrong. Right. But saying yes and all the time a month before opening is also wrong. You have to you have to have them at the right end of the project. Is Absolutely. That, is that am Absolutely. I getting what you're saying correctly? You're saying it so much better than I am, which I, don't I know think about that's that. great. I'm just listening. Um, I'm just catching this this idea. I mean, some of the ideas you've been sharing about, you know, the I'm just fascinated with what you're saying. The idea of having all the technical people collaborating up front like you would in theater is not only a way to get different ideas, but it's a form of insurance. Yes. Um, the idea that having a diversity of educational level in the meetings helps those who know too much realize how to communicate to those who know too little. The idea that brainstorming never works, but improv does. I mean, everything you're saying is really, I find it maybe it's because I spent some time in a theater when I was a kid. I don't know. The application of theatrical thinking to what we do is very interesting. I mean, in, in Europe, the set design world, the trade show world, the exhibition design world are all lumped under one word, which is scenography, mm -hmm. which uh, works in multiple languages. I just said it. Hey, I said it in English, but it works in French. It works in you know, scenography and it works in, in German, et cetera. And there are conferences about it. And it just seems like you're kind of tapping into that. You're kind of saying you're from, maybe I'm I'm going too long on the origin story here up front, but I, I thought it was just very interesting that what you're saying is really coming from that. And it's something that I think our listeners can really apply, which is think like a stage manager, think of it like theater, think of it like a show. I think that's really cool. The idea that whatever we're creating ultimately will be live. It will be created. And unlike, you know, a website that could go on forever, we want to actually build it, open the museum, and then look further. Let's do a quick recap. We have been talking about secrets of creative collaboration with Trent Oliver. And those secrets, well, I guess they're not secret anymore. Number one, get to why. Number two, the players in why. Number three, creative chaos, make a giant mess. Number four, who for the chaos. Number five, moving on slash forward. And number six, managing creative and approvals. Did I get them all? That is brilliant. Yes. I just want to say, Trent, it has been great to have you on the show. It is very good talking to you. I had a lot of fun. If folks would like to get in touch with you, what is their best method? Email, website? Trent at bluetelescope.com. Uh, our website is bluetelescope.com. And we have all sorts of social media. Great. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that uh, we have that info in the show notes. All right. That's it for this episode. By the way, did you know this podcast has a sister? It's a short daily newsletter every weekday under the same name, all about strategy and planning for museum leaders, exhibition teams, and visitor experience professionals. Learn more and subscribe at makingthemuseum.com. I'm Jonathan Alger, and I hope you'll join me next time for Making the Museum. Bye for now.